Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone. My name is Jack Rico, and welcome to episode 79 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. It's a U.S. Latino show examining how Hispanics are influencing and reshaping mainstream entertainment in the United States. Right before we begin our show, uh, I wanted to share some behind the scenes stuff that you probably don't even know about. But this show that you've been listening to, hopefully all of the episodes, all of the 79 episodes, have mainly been done in a audio software called GarageBand. It's one that uh, comes with Apple, and a lot of people do music with it, but you can also do podcasts with it. So at some point, I kind of mastered it, and I found out that Adobe has this thing called Audition. It's very much like GarageBand, but a lot more complicated. So this show, the 79th show, is being produced, recorded, edited uh, in audition and I'm just checking this out to see how if it's any better if it's not then you know I'll probably go to GarageBand or stick with this and uh, and see what happens I know a lot of dudes use Pro Tools and Logic Pro I'm not there yet I'm not an audio engineer but what you're getting usually is the garage bent until this one. So let's see how that works out. In the meantime, we're days away from the biggest soccer event in the world. You already have been waiting for this excitedly. I know it's the 2018 FIFA World Cup that's happening in Russia. And you know you're going to be listening and watching at home, on your cell phone, at work, at a bar with friends. It's seriously, it's like having a daily summer party for a straight month. So to get in the spirit of it, I'm devoting the whole show to the World Cup. First, I'll be speaking in Spanish to Argentine sports journalist Viviana Vila, who this year will become the first Latina to provide commentary for a men's World Cup on Telemundo. I'll discuss with her if her Argentine accent will be a problem for Mexican soccer fans, the struggles that she had to endure to sit at the table of a male-dominated anchor team, and if we'll ever see the first female play-by-play announcer anytime soon. Then I do a World Cup preview of all 10 Hispanic teams competing in the tournament with Luis Miguel Echegaray. He's been on the show before. He is the head of Latino content at Sports Illustrated. And the question is, will any of them go to the finals? You won't want to miss this episode. Historias de vida se escriben a diario. Luchadores despiertan alrededor del mundo. Esos que inspiran a que un aliento se convierta en grito. Para ellos, llegar aquí tomó tiempo. Los que lo lograron y los que se quedaron en el camino. Estados Unidos eliminados. 
Unos llegan por primera vez. Panamá y su noche histórica. Y otros regresan después de muchos años. 36 años después. Pero está en el mundial. Aquí estaremos juntos, sufriendo, llorando, riendo, conscientes de que al final solo uno saldrá victorioso. En esta Copa Mundial, la victoria y la historia serán nuestras. ¡Bendito sea el fútbol! La viviremos juntos en Telemundo y Universo. All right. I am very excited to speak to Telemundo's Viviana Vila. I've been waiting for this moment for quite some time. It took me a while to book her. Uh, so thank you, Telemundo, for making that happen. Uh, she is a woman making history in sports. On June 14th, she'll become the first Latina to provide color commentary for a men's World Cup. So my interview is going to be conducted in Spanish for her convenience. And we're going to tackle not only Messi and who she thinks the final four will be, but also if she's aware of how her promotion is going to impact women journalists in soccer. Hola, Viviana, ¿cómo estás? Te saluda Jack Rico desde Nueva York. Muchas gracias, igualmente. Bueno, eh, vamos a comenzar esta entrevista uh, con Viviana Vila, eh, que es una mujer que ha hecho historia. Uh, es de Argentina y la primera mujer que va a comentar la Copa Mundial de la FIFA de Hombres en Rusia 2018. Viviana, ¿cómo te llegó esta oportunidad? Bueno, me llegó eh, a través de Telemundo, de Telemundo Deportes, de, de manera sorpresiva. Eh, de manera sorpresiva en la relación, ¿verdad? Porque fue un llamado telefónico que cambió eh, en realidad mi, mi año, mi expectativa, mi vida laboral. No, te lo este, un... no, 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 claro, no, no, no me lo esperaba porque no fue algo desde mi búsqueda, digamos, ¿no? Entonces, esto me sorprendió gratamente. Todo fue grato desde que hablé, este, desde que empezaron los primeros contactos. Estoy, estoy muy agradecida. Muy agradecida. Y tú muy sabes contenta? que, que eh, Alexi Lalas, eh, tú lo conoces muy bien, defensa de los Estados Unidos, del equipo de, este, de los noventas. Recientemente en Twitter dijo que Ali Wagner era la primera comentarista para una Copa Mundial. No sabía y se, se, a él se le tuvo que corregir. Uh, pero a la misma vez... Este, es increíble que en este mundial se han escogido dos mujeres, este, una hispana, una americana, en eh, comentar estos partidos de la Copa Mundial. ¿A qué crees que se ha debido esto ahora en el 2018 y no anteriormente? Bueno, era ahora, ¿no? Es que ocurra. Eh, bueno, se debe a que ya se hizo muy visible eh, la necesidad a que el, el colectivo de mujeres eh, viene por todos los países de América y del mundo también diciendo estamos aquí, tenemos nuestro trabajo, somos mujeres que podemos trabajar a la par de los hombres, construir una mejor realidad, hacer que las cosas eh, cambien, este, necesitamos trabajar juntos y no detrás de los varones este, y y, y está está muy bien esta posibilidad que nos que nos dan porque a partir de nosotras seguramente se abren otras puertas para otras chicas, otras mujeres que vienen hace mucho tiempo trabajando pero que siempre dependen de una mirada y un filtro, un, una observación, una lupa masculina para que le den esa posibilidad. Cuando... Eh, una mujer en mi país o ahora en el mundo uh -huh. se vaya a decidir a opinar 
y no solamente a cuestionar de otra manera que a un hombre, uh -huh. ojalá que eso con el tiempo vaya cambiando. Es necesario, es dar un paso hacia adelante, que yo cambie. Por eso yo estoy tan feliz con Telemundo, uh -huh. porque Telemundo decide dar un paso que antes nadie se había animado. Y este es un quiebre en la comunicación y en la forma de contar fútbol y un mundial de hombres. Así que yo sé que todos mis ahora compañeros y amigos de Telemundo Deportes van a estar muy, muy satisfechos por lo que han decidido. Bueno, Viviana, por lo que tú eh, me has dicho, se ve que tú estás consciente de lo que esto significa, no solamente para ti y tu carrera, pero para el resto de las mujeres que están aspirando a entrar en este mundo del, del deporte, que son pocas y que eso ya contigo este, está cambiando. Um, me imagino que este recorrido en tu carrera no ha sido fácil a llegar a este momento. ¿Cuántos años has tenido esto y qué clase de retos eh, te has tenido tú que enfrentar para llegar a esta cima? Eh, claro que es un camino muy difícil el que recorrí, con muchos obstáculos, pero también plagado de satisfacciones, como es esto ¿no? Eh, que me ocurre ahora. Mira, básicamente cuando yo comencé a comentar fútbol, yo soy periodista, eh, trabajo en medios hace muchísimos años, soy locutora también y trabajo en radio y he trabajado en televisión mucho tiempo, no solamente he hecho deportes, pero cuando comencé a hacer bien de lleno en el deporte, eh, empecé, yo siempre digo que imagino todo como una gran escalera, que empecé desde el primer peldaño y siento que hoy Telemundo me da la posibilidad de estar en, en los más altos de esos peldaños, uh -huh. no digo en el último, porque siempre hay escaleras y peldaños por subir, pero eh, en cada peldaño había eh, algún alguna cuestión que yo tenía un obstáculo que sortear. Y tenía que ver muchas veces con la propia limitación, como por ejemplo ir a un, a un estadio de fútbol y que no haya baño para mujeres. Hasta, oh, wow. eh, mi, sí, claro. Hasta la mirada de ante un análisis mío de una jugada que entre todos los varones no estaban de acuerdo con esa jugada, sin embargo la crítica mayor iba hacia la mirada mía, pero entre ellos tampoco se ponían de acuerdo. Hasta... Eh, cosas maravillosas pero que forman parte de la realidad de una mamá como yo que eh, iba embarazada con, con, con a punto de, de, de parir a la cancha Increíble. Este, a la radio que llevé a mi hijo desde chiquito que me acompañó pero yo lo hice de manera natural pero quiero demostrar también eh, con esto que las mujeres podemos hacer todo eh, al igual que lo puede hacer un hombre y yo te diría que las mujeres podemos hacer más cosas al mismo tiempo porque yo he estado eh, al aire eh, saliendo y, y he estado con mi hijito dándole a mamantar. Bueno, eh, uno se va superando día a día y después se van construyendo relaciones muy lindas que forman parte de tu andar cotidiano eh, y, y la valoración del otro, ¿no? O sea, eh, eh, comento fútbol en mi país, después he comentado una Copa Libertadores, he comentado la Eurocopa para un canal de la Ciudad de Buenos Aires y, y realmente ahora estar en un país que no es el mío, para un público que no estoy acostumbrada, pero que yo confío mucho en que en que a partir de esto que ha hecho Telemundo Deportes tengan esta, esta visión, ¿no? Uh -huh, Ojalá uh -huh. sientan lo que yo estoy sintiendo. No, y definitivamente. Podemos caminar juntos. Um, 
¿Cómo te preparas tú para una Copa Mundial? Eh, ¿Esta es tu primera vez que vas a una Copa Mundial? Sí. Bueno, ¿cómo se prepara uno? ¿Tienes un equipo que te ayuda, que te, que te hace, te ayuda a memorizar? O sea, ¿cuál es el paso ahora para ser la mejor versión de ti en, en esta Copa Mundial? Bueno, para ser la primera versión de mí necesito dos cosas. Estudiar como lo vengo haciendo ya hace un tiempo y estar muy plena, muy feliz y muy contenta. Cuando uno está muy contenta y cuando uno deja Positiva. la tensión de lado, amén del nervio natural, uno puede dar lo mejor de uno, ¿no? Y, y yo sé lo que puedo dar y estoy muy convencida de eso. Entonces, eh, no, no tiene que haber ruidos en la comunicación para que puedan interferir lo que yo quiera eh, decir en ese momento. Uh -huh. Bueno, después... Aprendes con el tiempo a convivir con el error, todos nos equivocamos, es muy humano equivocarse y no pasa nada con eso, sino que hay otras formas también de poder hablar más allá de algún error. Yo me preparo estudiando mucho, yo soy mi equipo, siempre fui yo mi equipo, mi producción, mi equipo, por supuesto que cuento con la gente del canal, este, toda la gente del canal de la producción, este, y el mundial se estudia, bueno, sabiendo de las 32 elecciones, sabiendo en profundidad los partidos que te tocan a ti, conociendo qué recorrido tuvo cada uno antes de llegar al Mundial, mm. cómo fueron sus amistosos de marzo, cómo fueron sus últimos días antes de, la, de la, que comience la competencia de cada jugador, cuáles son las figuras de cada jugador, qué estilo de juego tiene, cómo es el técnico, este, qué, qué historia tienen entre esos rivales cruzándose entre sí, cuál es el fuerte del grupo. Bueno, por ahí va la cosa. Eh... Vamos a hablar a, a algo que mucha gente piensa pero no lo dice y eso tiene que ver con el acento. Aquí en los Estados Unidos en particular, el acento mexicano se considera el acento básicamente neutral de, de, de locutores, comentaristas. Y eso poco a poco ha cambiado. Obviamente Andrés Cantor de Argentina, eh, has tenido algunos cuantos colombianos aquí y allá, pero eso en verdad no es muy aceptado. Eh, ¿Tú crees que el acento argentino está llegando a un punto donde está uh, ahí al par con, con el acento mexicano y tú crees que va a interrumpir o, o, o hay muchas personas que van a decir, ah, me encanta que hay una mujer, pero es que ese acento argentino, no sé, aquí en los Estados Unidos, quiero escuchar una mexicana. ¿Tú, tú has escuchado algo así? Eh, ¿Te estás preparando para algo así? ¿O crees que no hay ningún problema con los acentos eh, para estos partidos de fútbol? Mira, el público que consume fútbol es muy particular. Es diferente al que mira una novela, al que mira un show, el que mira fútbol es muy particular este, y posiblemente todo esto para muchos sea un obstáculo. Pero yo no me puedo hacer cargo de lo que opina cada gente, cada televidente. Este, ojalá eso cambie. En mi país hay eh, gente de Latinoamérica trabajando, hay gente mexicana muy exitosa este, y la verdad es que nadie la mira de manera diferente por eh, tener otro acento. Hasta parece más encantador. Bueno, yo eh, soy yo, digamos, con mi forma de hablar. Este, no tengo por qué inventar eh, palabras que no están en mi vocabulario mientras se entienda y sea respetuosa de lo que digo, como soy yo. Este, yo soy flexible con esto. Bueno, entiendo que lo, el televidente puede, debería, perdón que lo diga así, debería eh, gustarle más el contenido de lo que digo y no cómo pronuncio una palabra, si se entiende. Sí. Y este, dos últimas preguntas, este, Viviana. Eh, vas, vas a estar comentando 
Y la pregunta que muchos se han hecho es, ¿por qué no está locutando? ¿Cuándo crees que vamos a llegar al momento donde una mujer va a locutar partidos de fútbol? Es cuando alguien se decida, cuando haya otro Telemundo que le diga a una mujer, ahora relata tú, narra, locuta. <risa> este, claro, cuando alguien tome eh, esa posta tan disruptiva, ¿no? ¿Tú crees que es algo extremo, radical, el que una mujer, mira, ya, sí. ya que, que una mujer locute un partido entero de fútbol? Sí, sí, y también sé que esa mirada, que es muy aguda, muy fuerte, muy maltratadora muchas veces, también va a caer fuerte sobre esa mujer que cuando esté locutando un partido se equivoque en un nombre, como se equivocan todos los locutores uh -huh. de este mundo cuando en los 90 minutos. Pero bueno, el, el, hay mucho destrato muchas veces en esto, hay una mirada más aguda, como te decía hoy. este Pero yo creo que de a poco todos nos podemos acostumbrar. Estaría muy bien que todos se acostumbren a que tenemos posibilidades todos de trabajar. Este, hay que acostumbrar el oído también, ¿no? A una mujer haciéndolo. Sí. Pero sería fantástico. Ojalá cuando surja y alguien de ese paso sea tan respetada como yo me siento ahora respetada por Telemundo. Bueno, este, yo creo que tú vas a ser la primera. Este, y finalmente te quería preguntar sobre Argentina. Obviamente Messi, este quizás sea su último mundial. ¿Cuál crees que va a ser el equipo que puede ganar este mundial y cómo ves a Argentina en esa, en esa categoría? Bueno, Messi si bien tiene 30 y todos pensamos que es una generación de jugadores que quizás jueguen su último mundial, también es cierto que con 34, 35 años, con el físico privilegiado que tiene Messi tan trabajado ahora, este puede llegar perfectamente. Pero eh, no hay que adelantarse a eso y hay que pensar que este sí puede ser el último de unos cuantos, ¿no? Lo será para otros también la, la, la mala fortuna de, de Chiquito Romero del arquero que se lesionó en la rodilla que él iba a tener seguramente como arquero protagonista eh, con, con tanta experiencia en el arco de Argentina yo creo que Argentina tiene además de tener a Messi con todo lo que significa tener al mejor este tiene otros grandes jugadores pero le falta ser un gran equipo. Yo aún no he visto ese gran equipo, no lo vi en eliminatorias y todavía no sé que, que el fútbol no es de uno, eh, a no ser que, bueno, en, en un partido, gracias a un jugador te puedas destacar y Argentina confía en que eso pase con Messi. Ahora hay que ver si todo un mundial lo podés sostener eh, solamente con un jugador si no hay un gran equipo que te sostenga. Y allí tendría que ser muy inteligente el técnico para plantear el partido a partido y además para dentro del mismo partido poder resolver los obstáculos que se planteen. Para eso se sirve, sirve un gran técnico también, ¿no? Bueno, San Poli tiene una oportunidad histórica ahora. Este, Argentina debería estar en la conversación de los, de los grandes equipos. Yo creo que Brasil España, Alemania Francia y Francia son los grandes candidatos Uf, bueno, si tuvieras que escoger uno fuera de Argentina o un equipo al que se enfrentaría Argentina en la final, ¿cuáles son esos dos equipos? Ay, ay, ay eh, Una predicción Una España. predicción España, ok, uno eh, Alemania y Brasil, déjame por también. <risa> es que está difícil, está difícil esta Copa Mundial. Eh, ¿cuál está es? difícil. Lo fantástico del fútbol es la sorpresa que nos puede parar. Si yo supiera quién va a ser campeón, este, no, no estamos ni hablando, porque no tendría ningún sentido nada. ¿Y tú no ves a, a, a Colombia de alguna manera entrando en la final este, en esta Copa Mundial con James Rodríguez, que está jugando muy bien? Muy bien. 
Mira, yo te digo, Colombia tiene un técnico recontro inteligente, súper Argentino, claro, también. Sí, pero podría ser argentino y no ser inteligente. Acá no, hay, no es toda la gente muy inteligente. O sea, hay de todo como en todos lados, ¿no? Este, Pero realmente Peckerman tiene inteligencia, tiene seriedad para trabajar, tiene un perfil muy interesante de trabajo, tiene años y años de selección con mayor y con menor. Es un hombre realmente eh, muy muy agradable desde todos los conceptos, humano y profesionalmente hablando, entiende mucho que es un mundial, porque no cualquiera puede jugar un mundial hasta las últimas consecuencias, y además tiene a James, tiene a Falcao, tiene a Cuadrado, tiene a Ospina, tiene a muchos jugadores de relevancia. Como, yo creo que Colombia, como el resto de muchos países latinoamericanos, este, tiene todos para llegar, todos tienen para pasar eh, a octavos de final seguro, todos. Ninguno debería pasar menos. Este, ya después de cuartos, la historia se empieza a complicar claramente. Bueno, Viviana, ha sido un placer conversar contigo, este, escuchar de cómo te estás preparando para esto, lo que significa este momento histórico para ti, para tu carrera y para nosotros el escuchar este, de alguien tan, tan sabio como tú en el fútbol. Ah, esperemos que veamos muchas más mujeres este, en las siguientes Copas Mundiales y estamos muy contentos por tus éxitos porque tus éxitos son nuestros éxitos entonces, muchísimas gracias Viviana te estaremos viendo en la Copa Mundial FIFA Rusia 2018 Así es, por Telemundo Deporte porque si estás en Estados Unidos y querés ver el Mundial en español, Telemundo <risa> Así es, muchísimas gracias, gracias Viviana que, que estés muy bien, muchas gracias This Father's Day, skip the shoes or those new cufflinks and get something you'll actually want to wear Sacks underwear. This is not the status quo. Saks's underwear reinvented. It's so comfortable, so supportive. I mean, seriously, there's nothing else like it. Saks underwear took something we all need and just made it better. I mean, these are the best underwear I've ever tried. Their ballpark pouch is a game changer. It's designed with our anatomy in mind. It lets you move around comfortably, no matter what you're doing. There is no friction, no chafing. Saks has a large selection of styles, including training shorts. You can find the perfect pair for everyday wear, working out, traveling, and it's all backed up by their 100% comfort guarantee. There's still time to get Saks underwear for Father's Day, so order a few pairs now and take advantage of this great limited time deal I've worked out. Shop from anywhere on their site and get $5 off plus free shipping on your first purchase. But to get this great offer, you need to use my promo code HIGHLYRELEVANT at checkout. Go now to SaksUnderwear.com, that's Saks with two X's, and use the promo code HIGHLYRELEVANT at checkout. Remember, SaksUnderwear.com, promo code HIGHLYRELEVANT. It's time for a recap of the week's top stories in movies, TV, music, and digital and social media in a segment I like to call Jacked In. Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. Harvey Weinstein has been indicted on rape and criminal sex charges. Jamie Foxx will star in the new Spawn reboot. Tom Cruise is officially filming Top Gun 2. And Universal Pictures is looking to restore 
10 classic silent films. In TV news, ABC is discussing a Roseanne spinoff with John Goodman. Samantha Bee apologizes for calling Ivanka Trump the C-word. The star of The Walking Dead, Andrew Lincoln, is leaving the zombie drama. NBC's next live musical will be Hair. BET CEO Deborah Lee has stepped down from her position. And another Hernan Cortez Conquistador TV series is in production competing with Steven Spielberg's version. Switching over to music, South Korean boy band BTS made history by becoming the first K-pop group to reach number one on the Billboard Top 200. Baluma scores second straight number one on Top Latin Albums chart with fame. And the official FIFA World Cup song Live It Up with Will Smith, Nicky Jam, and Era Steady has a new music video. Head out to showbizcafe.com to watch it. And in digital and social media news, BuzzFeed News plans to launch a new weekly video interview show to stream on Facebook Watch. Marketing firm Did It is close to acquiring Gawker.com. Apple will reportedly introduce a new digital health software to help fight phone addiction, and teens are dumping Facebook for YouTube, Instagram, and Snapchat. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm one of the biggest soccer fans that I know. I love soccer. So for the World Cup to finally be here, June 14th is something I'm so revved up about. And in order to talk to me a little bit about what's going on with all the Hispanic teams and their chances of going to the final, here with me is Luis Miguel Echegaray. He's the head of Latino content at Sports Illustrated. He's been on the show several times. And let's do this World Cup preview, man. How you doing? How that, Jack? How are you? Hey, everybody. Good to be back. Excited to have you on and talk a little bit about the World Cup preview of 2018. We got 10 Hispanic teams, and I'm throwing in Spain and Portugal in there. The event, the World Cup, for those of you that don't know, begins June 14th, ends July 15th. A lot of expectations in this World Cup for Messi to win it, just because there's a lot of teams that didn't make it that felt that... uh, that could beat Argentina, or it's just less competition for Argentina. That was Italy was one of those big teams. Netherlands was another of those teams that was excluded. Um, and so now a lot of people are saying that this is Messi's year. If Messi doesn't win a World Cup this year, it's going to be an ultimate disappointment to his career because it's probably his last World Cup in top form. I mean, he could become a Roger Miller and, you know, at 40 still play and make a goal. But, you know, we're looking for a championship here. So let's begin with Group C and Peru. This is your team. You're Peruvian. I've seen you on SI Latino talk about Peru. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the key players to watch and how much of a chance, how far can Peru go in this World Cup 2018? Group C, the beautiful Group C with Peru, France, Australia, and Denmark. Uh, It's an interesting group. Obviously, when you look at it uh, from a Peruvian perspective, and really anybody, France is clearly the the leader there, the the, the favorite to to win the group uh, with all the talent that they have, the European international experience. From Peru's perspective, we need to have a little bit of context here. This is the first time uh, Peru is back in the World Cup since 1982. It's been a long time coming. Um, but there's a lot of optimism, as you said. I've been, uh, you know, I've been very optimistic, very jovial about the return. Obviously, because of um, Peru's return to the World Cup and the big stage, 
But to be honest, another reason to really be excited if you're Peruvian, if you're Peruano, is, you know, we have, I think, uh, the most underrated coach in, in soccer. His name is Ricardo Areca. It's been a hard journey for Peru to get to the World Cup. They had to go through a repechaje. They couldn't make it. Uh, into the top four. You know, we could talk a little bit about that. It's, you know, the Conorable South American qualifiers, to, uh, you know, many say, and I agree, I think are the hardest to get out of, partly because you have obviously Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, you know, Chile, who didn't go through, still has a strong team. Um, every And this one in particular was really good because even, even teams like Venezuela, who have struggled recently, they've, uh, they've beat still, some of the giants, yeah. Right. And also you have to include the altitude and the humidity from different places. I mean, you know, playing in Barranquilla, for example, when you play away at Colombia, it's basically like playing in a sauna. It's it's almost impossible. So Peru had all these obstacles, as you said. Um, the other soap opera to all of this, to your uh, listeners who may not know, is that Peru's greatest player, aside from Nene Cubitas, who many of the older Peruvians will say, is Paulo Guerrero, who is the all-time leading scorer. Um, he's a big main reason, if not the biggest reason why Peru qualified to the World Cup. Um, he was suspended by FIFA. Um, he didn't even play that against New Zealand because um, of a suspension due to um, he had a mate de coca. This is, um, this is literally like a telenovela. He had mate de coca um, when he was suffering from a cold before playing against Argentina in the qualifiers. And there's obviously an enzyme inside the coca leaf tea that is also connected to cocaine, meaning that uh, there was a ban and he wasn't able to play. Then FIFA turned it from a one-year suspension or a 12-month suspension to a six-month suspension, meaning that no matter what, it was gonna, he was going to come back for the World Cup. But then... <laughs> Another twist came where the Tribunal of Sports overruled that and gave him a 14-month suspension, meaning that as of right now, as of our conversation right now, he is not able to uh, take take uh, part in the World Cup. And as of right now, we are hearing reports that maybe nothing official. So I don't want to like, you know, I don't know when this is coming out. By the time this comes out, maybe it's already happened. But there are reports that Paulo Guerrero is now going to be able to return, and the suspension will begin from after the World Cup. It's been a oh my god! Of I mean, sorts. it would be great to have the best player from Peru at the World Cup just to see how far they can go. Will they repeat what Costa Rica did in 2014 and go to the quarterfinals because of Paulo Guerrero? They were able to beat uh, the repechaje and win without him. So. I'm very interested to see how far Peru can go. But let's start with Group H uh, after Peru and work our way backwards all the way to Group A. Vamos a comenzar con Colombia. Colombia. This, this is a team that, obviously, I'm Colombian, so my heart is is rooting for them tremendously. This is a team that some people say that might have overachieved in 2014 because uh, they went all the way to the quarterfinals. James Rodriguez was undeniably the star of that World Cup to the point that he became the 10 of Real Madrid right after it. So can Colombia repeat a quarters final and will James Rodriguez be the same guy in 2014? 
there is no reason, first of all, why Colombia can't get out, if not win Group C. As you said, James Rodriguez became the hero in the last World Cup. And part of the reason was, was because Radamel Falcao couldn't make it. Guess what? Falcao is back. And so we all Falcao. thought, if Falcao was playing in that 2014 lineup, could we have gone all the way and beat Brazil and get into the finals? That that was sort of like the the talk in Colombia. What if Falcao would have made it now he's here? And if you remember that game against Brazil, it wasn't like Brazil were going away with it. In fact, many thought that it, many things in terms of serendipity went Brazil's way. It was just a 2-1 win for Brazil against Colombia. Like you said, if Falcao was there... Colombia's ultimate poacher goal scorer, my goodness, what could he have done? He is back and he's had a good season, uh, you know, in France. And, you know, he's obviously the pivotal factor when it comes to getting the goals, but he's not the only reason why Colombia are, you know, are such a strong team. You still have that core talent, you know, of, you know, Cuadrado and James Rodriguez and Falcao, Carlos La Roca Sanchez in the middle. You still have, and it's led by Beckerman. To me, another underrated coach from a European perspective. I think he's an excellent manager. The th Here's the problem with Colombia. They don't win the group. If they don't win the group, then what will happen is that when they come to um, the round of 16, you know, then you'll be facing against the winner of either Belgium and England in the other group. So they could face I, Belgium. I, I feel like we can beat we can beat England. I feel like Belgium is the toughest opponent. I think we can we we'll, we'll probably always lose to them. But then you never know. They might pull a a weird win like they did in Paris with France. You right. know, in in amistoso in the friendly. So that's interesting. So you think they can reach quarterfinals and maybe even farther, or you think they won't even reach the quarterfinals this year? They can definitely reach the quarterfinals. I think it really depends. It really depends whether they they win their group. Okay. Because I, I, so, you know, that is all about, and it's an open group for them. Yeah. You know? So we'll see. Time will sell. But, but they have the talent. They have the manager. You saw what they did. I mean, it was just a friendly, but it was a friendly that really showed you a lot of factors when they played against France a few mm -hmm. months ago. And they overtook that in France, and they won 3-2. Yeah. I mean, things like they that came can back. happen. Group G, Panama. It's their first World Cup. What are we expecting oh, from them? Beautiful Panama. Uh, hoping so much for them. Uh, they got first nothing World to Cup. lose. They're, they're like they're playing with house money. Absolutely. Any, ups they, they, any they upsets really, here? They really have nothing to lose. I mean, listen, this is going to be a very difficult. Can journey. they beat Belgium? Can they beat England? Can they beat Tunisia? <laughs> It's it's not going to be easy. I mean, first of all, they're opening the World Cup against Belgium. So, <laughs> oh my God. So, so listen, you know, England lost against Iceland when it mattered no, no. in the Euro Cup. There is nothing that can't be said that can't be done. Like you said with Costa Rica, look what Costa Rica did. I mean, you never know. This is the World Cup. And also, the other thing that most people don't talk about, I know that I'm uh, digressing a little bit, but when, uh, when we discuss international soccer and uh, the development of the game from an athletic perspective, and this is because many players internationally have now gone to Europe, to South America, MLS is growing, Liga MX is in Mexico, South America, all these players are getting better, better, and better, meaning that the line the difference between what's good and what's not so good is very thin now. Mm. So you never know. But having said that, they open against Belgium, which is just a machine of talent. Uh, and really, the next game is against England. So they have 
all, with all due respect to Tunisia, I think they have their toughest two opponents straight from the bat. But you never know. You get a point against Belgium, then it's like you said, Panama yeah. has nothing to lose. Uh, it's interesting. Their coach is Hernan Dario Gomez, and uh, this is the guy. For some reason, he he knows how to get teams into the World Cup. He did this with uh, Colombia. He did this with Absolutely. Ecuador, and now yep. he's doing it with Panama. Are yep. Colombian coaches the best coaches in the world? Because if you look at Mexico, they got Juan Carlos Osorio as well. And right. so w where do you rank Colombian coaches in the world? I rank them as the most underrated management in the world, for definitely. I think people don't appreciate how much Colombian management has done for the international game. I would probably go with Argentinian coaches that have done a little bit more just in terms mm -hmm. of uh, what, what they also do at club level. When you look at the Premier League and La Liga in Spain, um, you know, you, you see so much influence from an Argentinian perspective. Now here in MLS with Tata Martino, who coached Barcelona, you know, he is right here in America. But, you know, there's a lot of Argentinian coaches in the World Cup as well. You know, remember, Egypt is coached by an Argentinian as well. So, you know, oh, you have right. so much influence. But there is a lot of underratedness when it comes to Colombian management. For All right. Now let's head on over to Group F, and that is Mexico. April of last month, the Washington Post wrote a headline. It said, this World Cup, America's team is Mexico. With the social yeah. and political climate in our country, I saw an article very similar to this also in Sports Illustrated. Do yeah. you agree with the assessment that Mexico is the backup American team for America? Listen, I have to be very, uh, you know, you know, my role at Sports Illustrated is to not just engage and enhance the Latino Hispanic representation, but it's also to really make a light of what the sporting world is in this country. I, I think that uh, one thing about Mexico and what they represent is that not, I think they are so ingrained and part of the American way of life that it's almost, I think, impossible to try and figure out the best way to describe it. I think that when you think about the Mexican culture and Mexican-Americans in this country and kids of uh, parents who immigrated from Mexico, you, you can't underestimate the fact that there is such a deep, deep-rooted um, energy that comes from Mexican, from Mexican fans and Mexican teams. Let's not forget, the most watched soccer team in this country is the Mexican national team. Right. So, you know, that that should really answer your question. The most watched league is Liga MX. You know, so there's there's so right, many but, but, things. But we have to be we have to be very careful with that because most the highest ratings for that for Mexico comes from Mexicans watching right. Univision or Telemundo. But the rest of America, which is the majority, aren't watching that. So can we call Mexico America's team or can we call Mexico America's team within Mexicans who live in America. <laughs> right. That's not really so much of a sexy title. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That was just a hard headline just to even like, yeah. you know, come up with. I I'm okay with the way that we described it as calling it uh, America's other team. I think there was a little, a little bit of backlash in that thinking other, what do you mean by other? You know, I, I think sometimes there's a lot of yelling and shouting. Uh, when it comes to social media and the things that we do. But I think I think that it's okay to, I think it's important to, you know, understand and um, not just understand, but celebrate the Mexican identity in the United States because mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's closer than we all think.
I love Mexico. They are yeah. the ultimate warriors. Right. I mean, these dudes know how to hustle, how to play hard. They know how to come back. They don't let a goal or two uh, define them. Um, yeah. They could be in a slump and somehow manage to pick it up. This is a team that is also coached by a Colombian. They yeah. have stars from top to bottom. Uh, yeah. I feel this is a team that you can never underestimate whatsoever. Um, I love what they did in the last World Cup against Brazil. Yeah. I think they came up with a tie, one-one, and they were they were tying everybody or, or or beating them. But they, it's not an easy out. It's it's not yeah. an easy loss to play against Mexico. Every time you play against Mexico, it's either going to be the hardest game you ever played. Or it's 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 the most difficult win you're ever going to get against Mexico. How how do we see them coming into the World Cup? Who's the players that we need to watch? Is Chicharito still the star he was? And what the hell happened to Giovanni dos Santos? <laughs> so many good questions. Um, okay, well let's let's stay on one major factor. This is a very very good Mexican team led by. A very smart a professor of the game. He really, Juan Carlos Osorio, not only coaches well, he breathes this game. He's like a, you know, Popovich when it comes to how he understands soccer. And he has done a tremendous job, um, you know, cultivating this uh, team cohesion when it comes to Mexico. I think that players that you need to look out for us, yes, Chicharito is still a major, major force when it comes to this team, but now you're seeing the young talent, and that's the players that I think are going to make a difference. Players like uh, Tecatito Corona um, or Chucky Lozano, who has had a revelation, who he moved uh, from the Liga MX and he went to the Netherlands to play for PSV. Carlos Vela is in that team. Carlos Vela has had a fantastic start to LAFC and when he plays for Mexico he is so important because Juan Carlos Osorio plays him everywhere. A guy that was ignored in the last three years all of a sudden has been one of the feature players in this national team. Absolutely. Hector Herrera um, you know um, still and yes Jonathan Dos Santos in the middle too but yes going to Giovanni Dos Santos there is talk there is talk of maybe seeing Giovanni Dos Santos not making the final 23 because that still hasn't been announced. Um, The final list has to be done by next week. So you never know. I mean, I still think Giovanni Dos Santos can give a lot to this squad uh, because of his versatility. But there are other players, especially that play domestically, uh, who can really cause more of an impact. Javier Aquino, who is one of them that I think is really, really good. He'll go no matter what, I think. But this is a really good squad. Having said, Did you say that this is the group of death for them? I mean, they are facing Germany? Yeah. No, absolutely. Sweden? It is. I South mean, that's Korea. what I was going to say. Yep, I was going to say that. The opening game is against the world champions, against a team that can field three teams and still do well. Even Sweden, who has retired Slatan Ibrahimovic, do not underestimate them. They are very, very good. They're a compact, defensively sounded, well-rounded team. And South Korea, who has a lot of international stars too. This is not an easy group. And the fact that it begins with Germany makes it that much harder. So how far do you think they can go? You think they can get out of the group and move into the 16? Well, here's the problem, Jack. They, if they don't win the group and we think what happens with Brazil's group and Brazil wins it, guess who they face when they come out of the group stages? They face Brazil, who I think are the my tip to win the whole thing. 
So um, it's going to be very difficult. Uh, but listen, my co-host Grant Wall thinks that Mexico can beat Brazil. So I think I, th- I think they can. I think they can either draw out that game or or, or or probably beat them because if they could do that in 2014, I mean that was one of the best games I saw in 2014. Mexico Brazil. What a game! Yeah. Go rewatch that game. That game they gave everything. I mean, respect yeah. was given to Mexico uh, in that World Cup. That that's when I said, okay, you know what? I can't hate on Mexico anymore. I'm a United States fan in terms of when they match up, but now I respect him. The way I was hating on LeBron, I can't hate on him anymore. And I you feel the, I, no, and I feel the same way about Mexico. All right, yeah. moving on. Uh, let's go to Group E. We're talking about Brazil and Costa Rica. Costa Rica has, in my opinion, the best goalkeeper in the world in Keylor Navas. Uh, many yep. people say David De Gea is it. Um, I don't know, man. When you see the goalkeeper for Real Madrid, the winner of the Champions League, and everything he's done, the saves yeah. that he's done, the spectacular cat reflexes that this, at his height? Come on. David De Gea is like 6'8". He's like, he's like a monster. <laughs> Kaylor is not that tall. And for him to do the things that he does for the best team, the best club team on the planet, you got to give these guys some sort of edge in this group. How do they do against Brazil and which is the player that we need to look at for offense and how far do you think they can go outside of the quarterfinals? Do you think they can reach that again? Just one thing about Keylor Navas. Uh, I did a piece on him uh, interviewing many journalists in Costa Rica and many fans. And um, I agree. I think he's the most underrated, uh, the best goalkeeper in the world. I think if he was German or French, I think we'd have a different <laughs> conversation and there wouldn't be that much that much doubt. I'm going to say this because I feel like it's something that I feel, it's my opinion on, on this Kaylor thing. For for some reason, Real Madrid wants to get rid of Kaylor and they want David De Gea. That's been the rumor for at least a year. At the, at the level that he's playing, I don't know why you would want any other goalkeeper. But I think yeah. the fact that he's indigenous... And he doesn't fit the criteria or the image of a of a Real Madrid goalkeeper, and David De Gea fits more that that sort of that image. I think it's one of the reasons that Florentino wants him out of Real Madrid because I can't think of any other else. I haven't heard any expectations on extending his contract, which mm. is which is sad because I thought that when he was in the World Cup, was it fourteen or ten? He was he was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, that's how no, I think absolutely. he got all the way to Real Madrid. So I, I think no, he's still, the yeah, I think he's yeah. still the, the the best goalkeeper in the world. And I think Real Madrid would be dumb to just let him go. No, absolutely. I mean, the problem is that he's facing against David De Gea, who is basically, he's the Spanish number one. Yeah. So, you know, but I completely agree with you in every single thing. Having said that, though, when it comes to Costa Rica and this World Cup, I want to see them progress. It's going to be tougher this time around, I think. Um Serbia, I don't think, you know, is a, is a team that's doable. They have a lot of talent, definitely. Uh, Matic, who plays for, uh, you know, Manchester United. Mitrovic, who just got, uh, you know, he was with Fulham uh, on loan from Newcastle. They have a strong team, but they've had management issues, uh, inconsistencies to the point where it's taken them a long time to even hire one all the way leading up to the World Cup. The other one, Switzerland is good because they're at the core of their talent right now. Right. It's definitely theirs to take it. I don't see anybody taking this group away from Brazil because as much as we were talking about Brazil in 2014, 
guess what? They are a much, much better team this time around because one of the issues in 2014 was there was no, uh, they were a little boring. There right. was a little, there was, there were, you know, they, they had to rely a lot on, on set pieces and their midfielders to score the goals. I mean, the game against uh, Colombia, I believe it was two center backs that scored the goals. They didn't have a number nine. They didn't have a central focus to really deliver. Now they have Gabriel Jesus from Manchester City. They have Roberto Firmino from Liverpool. They don't even need Neymar to be fit until the knockout stages. That's how good they are. So um, I, I think that Brazil will take this group, and then it's tough for the taking to grab that second. The second. So Costa Rica can do it. It's going to be tougher than 2014. Now. You think that Germany, if they face Brazil again, you think Germany will lose against Brazil? No, I have Brazil winning the whole thing. How do they beat Germany? Well, it's going to be difficult because they are Germany. Um, but I believe that... I mean, this the, is basically the same team. And they, they're probably even more enhanced now. But they played in Brazil. Yeah. And lost 7-1. I mean, 7-7-1. Seven, 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 it's like, how do they come back from that with the, even a better German team? Because that team... Mm-hmm wasn't the bench that won the Confederations Cup. So now it's like having two all-star starting lineups. No, it's going to be difficult for sure. But remember what I said. This is not the same Brazil as Brazil in 2014. Coach Tite, their coach, has basically created this uh, squad that is as creative as it is disciplined. And the latter is going to be the deciding factor in the knockout stages, I think. All I right. think that they're just as disciplined as they are creative. I mean, you never know. I could be wrong. I've been wrong many times before, <laughs> but Brazil is my pick. Let's move on to Group D in Argentina, which is probably the biggest question mark of the World Cup. Yes, they have the best player in the world in Messi. That's even questionable now. Cristiano Ronaldo had an incredible season. And it was extremely difficult for Argentina to get even to the World Cup. They mm. barely made it by the skin of their teeth. How do we see Messi playing in this World Cup? Can they win? How will his legacy be affected? And what kind of system do you think that they'll need to play with all these great offensive players in order to get to the finals? Um, good questions. Here's the first point. Lionel Messi is the best player in the world. Okay, there is no argument about that. I know that Cristiano Ronaldo is right there with him, but I I just, you know, it's just, I mean, I give you the same argument as we've discussed for many years. Cristiano Ronaldo may be the best player in the world, but Lionel Messi is out of this planet. That's just plainly (laughs) how I see it. He's not a human being. He's the best player in the universe. (laughs) Absolutely. He's just ridiculous. But let's talk about this squad and what he represents for this World Cup. The problem that Argentina has is that Jorge Sampaoli, their manager, who's a very good manager, a lot of experience, but they play a very high press system where they kind of don't stop running. They try to intoxicate you a little bit. Um, That's all very well, but the problem is is that this squad, especially in the defensive midfield role, they are aging. You have Javier Mascherano, who's now older. He plays in China now. Um, you know, so these players in the middle that are trying to protect the foundation of the team going forward are a little bit older. So when you look at the group, I have no problem with them getting out of this group, even winning it, of course. But here's where it gets tricky. I mean, they have Iceland to open up. I don't think they have a problem with beating Iceland. Iceland is a a giant killer. We've seen them do this before. 
why no, wouldn't they, why wouldn't they be able to do it again especially in Argentina that could barely win uh, I think they lost against Bolivia they're definitely uh, they're definitely someone to look at I mean they're one of the front covers of our of our issue in Sports Illustrated but I just think that there's so much talk about Iceland that, that it's almost going to go against them but and I think Croatia I mean, has two incredible players in the midfield they probably yeah. have the best midfield outside of Spain in the World Cup uh, led by Luka Modric. They got Nigeria, which has never been an easy team to beat. Nigeria beat already Argentina in the friendlies. I know they were, they were just friendlies, but still, you know, it does say a lot about the way that Nigeria play. As you said, Luka Modric and even Rakitic for Croatia can cause a lot of damage. But I still see them winning the group. The problem, wow. Jack, mm-hmm. the problem, Jack, with Argentina is what happens after that. Because if they win the group, well, first of all, if they win the group and Peru gets out of uh, Group C and doesn't win it but comes runner-up, then it's Argentina-Peru in that, in that next round. Um, so I see Argentina, obviously, I, I hate to say it, but obviously I see Argentina winning that. But the biggest problem is if the stars align in terms of what I see, they might face Spain. Um, you know, going into the quarterfinals. And we and that, saw what to Spain me, did to them. The right yeah, there. we saw what Spain did to Argentina with Messi. I, th- I think Messi was playing in the friendlies, yeah. C- correct. So I, it's a very difficult route for Argentina. As good, as incredible as Messi is, I see this once again being an issue with an overall problem with the whole squad and Messi not being able to just lift them individually all the way to the final. So you think that the problem with Argentina and the reason they haven't been playing well at all in tournaments with the national team is just that it's an aging team? There are factors inside the squad that's aging. There's still some good young players like Pavon, Christian Pavon from Boca Juniors, who's a really creative midfielder. But I'm talking about even going in this defensive side of things that might be the issue for them, especially because they play a system that doesn't allow them to breathe so much. They need to keep pressing and pressing and pressing. When you play against Spain, somebody that just loves to have the ball and possess, this could be an issue. So I'm just, you know, I, I, Lionel Messi is the greatest player in the world. He might be the greatest player ever. I don't know if he'll be able to, like, take over a strong Spanish side from every department. Yeah, um, I'll stick with Maradona since he won a World Cup, and I think you can't you can't talk about the best player in the world if that person hasn't won a World Cup. <laughs> Moving to Group B, since we talked about Peru and Group C, it's two of the big titans, Portugal and Spain. They're not Latino, but they're Hispanic, right? And um, yep. Portugal brings in Ronaldo. Spain obviously doesn't have a single star. Their whole team and bench is a star. How do we see the this these two teams go at it? Who comes out of this alive? And how much does Ronaldo need this for his legacy? Yeah, well, the, the same argument can be said for Cristiano Ronaldo not winning a World Cup, right? I mean, he has a European Championship, of course. He has the Champions League multiple right, times. Right, but he, he doesn't have yet. the squad that Argentina has with Dybala, right. Di Maria, and Higuain, and Kun Agüero, and we can go on and on. Uh, right, you know right. this uh, Portugal. You can kind of compare it to the Cavs. They have LeBron, and then everybody mm. else is like, "What's their name?" Right. So, and this is once again, this might be an issue for them. I mean, I I still see them getting out of the group just because I I I don't see Morocco causing too many surprises. Um, I still see Spain winning this group. I, I'm a big fan of the Spanish squad. Me too. Um, 
I, I just don't see them overtaking Spain in Group B. Also, Spain are going to want to redeem themselves from 2014. Um, that horrible you know, opening game against the Netherlands, right. I believe it was. Right. And then the next one is Iran, which, with all due respect, I really don't see them beating Portugal. Um, so I see Spain and Portugal getting out of this. Again, the issues are going to happen when they get out of the group stages. And if Portugal um, don't win that group, then you could face somebody like Uruguay. So, you know, that that could be an issue where you have Lucho Suarez, Edison Cavani, uh, you know, and the talented you know, Uruguayan squad led by Tavares. That could be a problem for Cristiano Ronaldo. So Luis right. Suarez against Cristiano Ronaldo could be the biggest high <laughs> going into the knockout stage. I so. have, you know, Portugal won the, the Euro Cup and the mm. final game they did it without Ronaldo. That mm. says something. That's that speaks about the coaching. That speaks about the system. That speaks that they're a they're a better team than they were before, and that they don't need Ronaldo in order to win. It's great to have him, but they won the final for the Euro Cup without Ronaldo. Um, yeah. So and I you still have them, you still have Joao Mario and Joao Martinho and, and this new kid Andre Silva that Silva. everybody's talking about. Yeah, Ricardo Caresma is a highlight reel. But they're a little a older, though. Mark. They're all a little yeah. older. Like Pepe in the back, I don't know about that. Uh, and then you and got ja Spain. Jack, their opening game is against Spain. <laughs> oh, my God. This is going to be an incredible World Cup. Uh, then you got Spain. So let's talk a little bit about Spain. There's no single star here. Everybody seems to be a star. What is the, the, what is the lineup that you see that this team needs to have to be the champions? Because... I'm I'm calling it right now. I think Spain's winning the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, many of my colleagues agree with you. I, I um, think Spain is winning the World Cup. They're along with Germany. They're the deepest bench. Everybody's in all. Alvaro Morata didn't make the cut, right? And this guy's a goal scorer that anybody would love to have. He's playing right. at Chelsea. So the fact that you got to make a cut like that on a forward of that level just kind of speaks to the volume of talent that this team has. And I think they're cohesive. Look, many of the players that are playing in the starting lineup of Spain are the same guys that just won the Champions League. That's right. That's right. Spain At least the defense, is, you know. Spain is an absolute machine. Um, not only do they have a talented uh, squad, but they have a philosophy and a system that's worked for them for years. Obviously, 2014 was a disappointment, but I think that they're more than ready. Now, one of the things that we need to remember about Spain, like you said, there's so much experience, but now what's really scary is that you have players like, um, you know, Marco Asensio, who yeah. is a baby, and he is to me, one of the best players in the world. He's just so fun to watch. Isco, who just won the Champions League with Real Madrid. And you still have the experience of Andres Iniesta and, Busquets. you know, Sergio Busquets. And then at the back, you still have David De Gea, you know, in goal. And then you still, now you have players that have had a really good season in La Liga, like Rodrigo from Valencia and Diego Costa coming back to Atletico Madrid. This is a ridiculous squad mm -hmm. who has a system and knows how to work it. Um, if Danny Carvajal can be fit enough, because he was one of the players that were injured in the Champions League final uh, with uh, Mohamed Salah, if Danny Carvajal can get you know fit enough, you will also there again have one of the best fullbacks in the world. So this is a this is a Spanish team that's no joke. 
And then finally, Group A, and this is the final Hispanic team, uh, the Hispanic team in the World Cup that we'll be talking about for this World Cup preview is Uruguay. This is a team that since the Diego Forlán days, they've made it so far, more than most Hispanic teams at all, uh, that I'm convinced that Cavani right now is probably one of the best forwards playing soccer right now in the world. And Luis Suarez... You know what he can give you. He's probably the most clutch forward in South America. And now these two Titans are going to be at the front once again with a young, uh, sort of a rejuvenated team. How far do you see Uruguay go in this World Cup? Just like you said it, Jack, this is an Uruguay. In, in the issue of SI, a World Cup issue, I had to write about Uruguay, just give a little highlight of what they are. And the best way that I could describe them was they are the soccer international equivalent of your heyday Mike Tyson. Wow. They they don't let you breathe. Um, you know, everybody has a plan until you punch them in the face, and that's Uruguay. And what a Uruguay, great defense that they have. These guys. They just they forward, they intoxicate you. I mean, we talk about Luis Suarez, of course, and Edison Cavani, who I agree is one of the most clutch uh, number nines out there. But you still also have Jonathan um, Urretavizcaya, Christian Rodriguez, um, you know, uh, Carlos Sanchez. And then at the back, you still have Diego Olin, who's one of the best center backs out there. This is a really good team, but it all comes together thanks to their coach, who's been at the helm for a long time, Oscar Tavares. Um, so this is a squad that can do it. I mean, when you look at their schedule, for example, you know, they they open up against Egypt. I don't know. We don't know yet what the Mohammed Salah situation will be. After that, they face Saudi Arabia and they finish everything with Russia. This is a group that they can win. Luis, so who are your semi-final teams for this World Cup 2018? So, I mean, I obviously have Brazil winning it. So Brazil has to be in there. Uh, we talk about Spain. I have Spain in there. I have Germany. And I have Le Bleu. I have France taking it. Wow. Too. So you got France, Germany, Brazil. I have France against Brazil, Spain, and Germany. Spain and Germany. So you got France, Brazil, Spain, and Germany. No Argentina. No, wow. I don't. For the reasons that I said in terms of... Uh, the aging defensive midfield. Hey, but listen, I've been wrong many times, Jack. <laughs> Luis, thank you so much. The head of Latino at Sports Illustrated. Thank you for being on the podcast and giving us the World Cup preview. Brazil, according to you, is winning it. I say Spain wins it once again. And uh, let's see what happens June 14th. Every week I share some new tracks I've discovered. Here are three you might want to add to your playlist this weekend. Cuando tú quieras, J Balvin. We don't know no one like you. Huh? Go grills and you dance like Michael. What? No eyes, misfits, no typos. Ooh. Icon, Spanish remix. Jaden Smith featuring Live It Up. Nicky Jam, Will Smith, Eda Steady, produced by Dipper. 
And that's it for episode 79 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I'd like to thank Viviana Vila and Luis Miguel Echegaray for hanging out with me. And I hope you guys dug these conversations too. A quick shout out to Elizabeth Rosario. Thanks for putting our podcast on your Latinx Collective newsletter. And if you guys like what you heard, you can support the show by sharing us on social media and telling all your friends about it. Remember, it's through your word of mouth that our show can grow. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.